woman and her sister begin to link a mysterious tunnel to a series of disappearances, including that of her own husband. This week's episode is Absentia. Welcome to Partners in Fright. I'm Joe. I'm Devin. And welcome back, everybody. Woot woot. How was your week this week? Um, my week was good. Dealing with some, like, allergies or something, which feels crazy to say allergies in the summer. Is that a mm-hmm. thing? Sure, why not? Well, there's that. You're the first. Awesome. <laughs> Um, So this was my pick this week, and I was really excited to get to this one because this movie is the directorial debut for a feature-length film for Mr. Mike Flanagan. Come on out, Mike. Round of applause, everyone. All right. (laughs) I didn't even ask you how your week was. Uh, It was was all right. It was all right. Really busy work week. I saw Haunted Mansion in theaters this week. Oh, that's right. Quick uh, review rating? Brief review. Uh, I don't really know if I have a, like a number or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was good. And it had a lot more scares than I anticipated. Mm, okay. And it was a lot heavier than I anticipated as well. Like it dealt with a lot of heavy topics oh really i mean hauntings and ghosts and death all kind of go hand in hand but it was less um kidified than i would have normally expected from a disney movie oh interesting i i laughed a lot Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed owen wilson and danny devito in it okay and i think that this is a great movie for Maybe not like a young kid, but maybe like preteen age mm-hmm. as that gateway drug yeah, into yeah. horror movies. Right. I think it's a, a great like transitional film if, you know, you think your kids might be yeah. ready for something a little bit scarier. And um, actually, our four-year-old was watching the end of Absentia with us <laughs> tonight. <laughs> and uh, he was like, I really want to watch the rest of it. And I was mm-hmm. like, mm, I don't. I don't know what happens at the end, so I'm going to say no, but we can watch, like, kids' scary movies. And he was excited about that. And, yeah, I think Haunted Mansion would be, like, a good good transition. Would you recommend movie. seeing it in theaters, or you okay to kind of uh, wait till it streams? Yeah, I think it's okay, okay Did you have a wait. favorite character? Um, I, I really like Danny DeVito's character. He okay. played, like, a professor. Oh, really? And he always wore this, like, clear raincoat it was it was good and he had like a heart condition (laughs) (laughs) okay it it was funny um and then i liked uh you knew his name i don't know his name oh uh lakeith stanfield yes i liked his character a lot um yeah i thought i thought it was a good movie i'd like to watch the eddie murphy one again Mm -hmm. just to compare (laughs) mentally because i remember really enjoying that as a kid But overall, I thought it was fun. If you like Disney, I mean, we've mentioned before, we're big Disney people, Mm -hmm. big Disney adults. And uh, (laughs) if you are, I think it's a a good movie. You should go see it. Nice. Uh, So on Mike Flanagan, though. Mm -hmm. So I only knew his name. I'm really embarrassed to admit this and feel free to kick me off my own podcast (laughs) i only knew him from like haunting of hill house and haunting of bly manor oh man no there's he's done a lot yeah so i'm very embarrassed because (laughs) i was like looking at his work yeah history and like oculus dr sleep Mm -hmm. ouija i -hmm. was like all of this is Mike Flanagan? Yeah. Well, I was Ouija so too. surprised. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. That yeah. That's a rare one where the first movie was super meh, but the second one is yeah. very, very good. Yeah. He, I first recognized his name from Oculus 
two. And he recasted like everyone from Absentia in Oculus. Pretty much, yeah. Um, and, and of course he blew up with Haunting of Hill House. Um, so yeah, highly, highly recommend going through his his work. I feel like yeah, he treats his horror with such patience and care i feel like he might be like the dave filoni of horror yeah i could totally see that yeah especially watching like his tiktoks i love watching his yeah stuff. he has the coolest fucking room filled with like movie and horror memorabilia it's great i had no idea because like dr sleep on our website is listed as one of my favorite movies mm -hmm. of like all time and i had no clue that was mike flanagan <laughs> no clue that's funny so i think other fun fact about this movie was that it was actually mostly crowdfunded because it was his mm -hmm. first movie well first feature length movie and the budget was seventy thousand. yeah and this movie came out in 2011, and I think he used Kickstarter. I had no idea Kickstarter was... The, I mean, 2011 wasn't that long ago, but I feel like I haven't heard of Kickstarter back then. I feel like I had heard of some, like, products mm -hmm. that you could fund. Right. And the other thing, too, is, like I said, 2011 wasn't that long ago, and this was his first movie within just a decade, like... His directing and writing has severely, like, impressed me. You can, I mean, we'll get into it, but you can definitely tell that this is a uh, a debut film with a very, very low, low budget. Yeah, I did that very cliche thing while I was watching this. Like, I could make this. I could totally make this. <laughs> <laughs> So, I kind of forgot that I'm the one with the notes. Oh, and I forgot to mention that you can watch this for free on Tubi, and it's an hour and a half. Yeah, I thought it was a great length. Mm -hmm. Perfect length. All right, so we open up on the movie learning that a man named Daniel Riley is missing. Clearly has been for a while because a woman is replacing some missing posters with fresh ones. It also seems like there's something up with this dark tunnel near her house because we keep getting these shots of it. It looks generally creepy. Probably wouldn't want to walk through it. We learn that Trisha is the woman putting up the posters. She's currently pregnant and her sister Callie is visiting from New Mexico. Callie is a drug addict and has been in and out of rehabs. And we don't know Trisha's baby daddy. It's not um, her husband, which is the missing man, Daniel. We learn that Daniel has been missing for seven years. And not only is Trisha going through this pregnancy, like, you know, she's clearly probably third trimester at this point. Can you imagine her being pregnant for seven years if it was his kid? <laughs> right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, and she's also in the process of moving. And she's also in the process of filing this form, which is a death in absentia form. Basically, someone has been missing for so long. I think seven years is the first year that you're able to file this form. Like right. they have to be missing for this long in order to file this form. And then uh, you receive a death certificate for the person who's been missing. So she's got a lot going on. Callie has come up from New Mexico to kind of help her. And we learn that Callie is kind of like a... a uh, Recovering. No. She doesn't really have a home. Like, she's just kind of like traveling. Like a nomad? Yes, that's the word that I was looking for. Thank you. You're welcome. Tristan says that she used to think that Daniel left because they were fighting a lot. And then she thinks that, like, she goes through this whole kind of like list in her head of like what could have happened to him so initially they might have been fighting he just left up and left then she thinks maybe he got um amnesia and just couldn't remember her 
maybe has like fleeting feelings of her and has started a new life somewhere. Then she thinks maybe he's an undercover agent, works for the NSA, drops by her house to check on her every once in a while. The reasonings get more and more just ridiculous. Yeah. The I more think she, she lists them off. Yeah. She ends on alien abduction. Mm -hmm. We also learn that Callie is religious, which according to Trisha seems like a new thing. She hangs a crucifix above her bed and she also has a mysterious green box that she hides. There's something watching Trisha as she sleeps. Um, it's like a figure. She catches them moving downstairs when she goes to check. And when she flicks on the light, uh, it's Daniel. Well, she asks if it's Daniel. He has his back turned, um, kind of disheveled man. Mm -hmm. And we get our first jump scare. And it, basically his head twists around. Um, and he has that, like, cliche, black eyes, like, black mouth hanging open. Very gaunt, yeah. Yeah, and she backs away, and then he appears behind her and, like, wraps his arm around her neck. <laughs> the next day, Callie runs down the spooky tunnel. Every time that she went to go run, though, <laughs> she was wearing the same outfit, and she looked like Adam Sandler. Oh. <laughs> like, she had these, like, pants that were just, like, they were like a cross between capris and basketball yeah, shorts. Yeah, really baggy, loose clothing. And she runs a lot. I'm like, are you washing this outfit regularly? <laughs> yeah, I had a tough time deciphering how much like of a length of period this movie took place in. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because later on, when they end up filing this form to get mm -hmm. his death certificate... It comes in the mail, and the movie makes it seem like it's like the next day that she gets yeah, it in the mail, yeah. but everyone knows the government does not work this fast, and that would <laughs> probably take months, you know? Something superficial like that. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. So, Callie goes on a run. She runs through the spooky tunnel, and on the other side, there's like a nice neighborhood, um, and we see that there's lots of lost pets so like lots of missing pet posters when she runs back through the spooky tunnel there's what looks to be a homeless man he seems to be sleeping but then like opens his eyes when she is walking around him and he's really surprised that she's able to see him and he said he doesn't know how he got there says his name is Walter Lambert and starts asking her to tell his son Jamie about something. Like, he's, like, calling to her. He's not making, like, a move to get up, though, and mm -hmm. leave the tunnel. But she just kind of says, I'll, I'll come back for you. Like, I'll bring you something, you know, and runs off. Mm -hmm. When she gets home, Detective Mallory, a.k.a. Ryan, is sitting there with Trisha. I think going over closing the case essentially like they needed some uh reports from the police about daniel's absence <laughs> absence yeah <laughs> like <laughs> just his his case it seemed like they were interrupted too yes something a little spicy might have been going on there i don't know about spicy but there was definitely a layer of something <laughs> The detective leaves, and when Trisha closes the door, there's like a zombie Daniel behind the door, and he says, I know what you did. After dinner, Callie uh, asked Trisha for some Tupperware for leftovers so that she can go bring this man some food. She like drops it kind of in the entrance of the tunnel and when she looks down there there's no man in the tunnel anymore and she also says that this is like a christian thing for her that she has to do it because it's a christian thing i missed that part yeah that night when trish is sleeping she sees daniel over her in the middle of the night and he plunges his hand into her belly mm -hmm. then trisha tells her psychiatrist about seeing daniel everywhere and basically, he says that she's lucid dreaming and that it's just her kind of guilting herself and like having a lot of feelings about, you know, filing for his death and 
closing this chapter of her life. Yeah, that's going to be crazy stressful. Like that just that sense of like finality. Yeah. And not all closure is always a good thing, you know. Yeah, and she mentions in the beginning like she still has her marriage photos up everywhere. And she was like, well, like initially I left them up because I thought he was coming back. And Mm -hmm. now I'm just kind of leaving them up as like almost like a superstition thing. Yeah. Yeah. Callie gets back from another run. And this time there's a ton of like keys, metal trinkets on her doorstep. And she kind of piles them up and takes them back over to the entrance of the tunnel. Um, I think she realizes that they came from the tunnel, though, because there was some kind of like pocket watch or something next to that man named Walter. Mm-hmm. So she kind of recognizes these objects and then puts them in front of the tunnel. There's this random guy there. And he says, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you don't do that. <laughs> I don't know that. And then he leaves a trash bag. So like. He's telling her not to do it. But then he... Yeah. What a hypocrite. Right? <laughs> and I think... Doesn't she touch the trash bag? I, I don't remember. Okay. I don't remember either. I watched this tonight. Let the record be known. <laughs> <laughs> they end up filing the form to get his death certificate. Trisha sees Daniel for like a split second while she's signing it. And then afterwards, Callie has this weird experience in the bathroom. Um, Like she hears this noise coming from behind the shower curtain, which I am notorious for doing this. If I go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, like it's this weird tension thing where like I don't want to look behind the shower curtain, but then I do want to look behind the shower curtain. It's like, is it better to know that there's nothing there or is it better to like live in ignorance? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and no matter what, I always feel like there's something behind there. So if there's something behind there, then it's essentially you're saying that's a future me's problem. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Or leave it for me when I go in there. Exactly. Okay, good. <laughs> Meanwhile, Trisha is meditating in the other room and here's like, well, we see her eyes are closed. There's this like demon Daniel like, yeah. whispering in her ear. And apparently she likes it because she starts smiling. Yeah, it was weird. The whole, it, yeah. It was very like cliche. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's going to come out great in post. I can just, <laughs> I see it now. Well, they, they do the same thing in uh, Oculus 2. With the sister, she like is talking into her. Oh her yeah, ear, and her eyes are like all glazed over white. When Callie goes to sleep that night, there are a ton of metal trinkets on her bed, like even more than what was on the doorstep. Mm-hmm. And they call the police. The police get there. Some of the items matched the descriptions of the small burglaries in the area, and they had mentioned that earlier in the film, that there were just, like, random break-ins where they don't even take cash. They just take, like, a random object that's essentially worthless. Right. Detective Mallory stresses locking the doors and then kind of aggressively tells Trisha to leave. Like, he's making this area seem to be, like, the slums. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's like, you need to leave. I keep telling you this is a bad area. Like this It doesn't is no... look that bad. Right? Like <laughs> it doesn't right. look terrible. Yeah. And it's ironic because like literally if you run through this tunnel, then it looks like sunshiny, idealistic. Like the neighborhood on the other side of this tunnel is like beautiful. Like in a uh, Parks and Rec, what is it? Like there's Pawnee and then what's the town? Eagleton. Yes. It seems like that. Like <laughs> so Breaking news, I'm sorry, I just found something out. The guy who plays Walter is Doug Jones, who is um, Billy Butcherson in Hocus Pocus. No way! He does a lot of character work, too, because he... Oh, I can totally see that now. He's in um, The Shape of Water. I forget his name, but he's like the yeah. aquatic creature. I, w- I watched like a TikTok on him recently. Oh, really? That was like all of his roles and like... Because I think he started out as 
Oh, I don't know. Hellboy too. He was a clown or like a contortionist. I think he something along those lines. Wow, that's so cool. Okay, sorry. Continue. <laughs> okay, so Detective Mallory is talking about how terrible this area is, and then says she's been packing for six months. Like, when are you going to move? Right. And then even suggests her staying with him. And oh. Callie's like looking between the two of them, like, what's going on here? And Detective. Trisha's kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The next day, Callie runs again, but avoids the tunnel. Trisha says she won't be home for a while, and Callie unlocks the box beneath her bed. Uh, They get a death certificate in the mail, hence it seeming, like, really fast. Right. And then Callie ends up finding a place for Trisha because she sees, like, an apartment complex with a vacancy sign. Trisha is like, yes, this place is great. She feels happy about it, mm-hmm. and then she calls Detective Mallory and asks him out on an official date. Oh, boy. It was really cute. They have this, like, sentimental sisterly moment where um, Callie is helping Trisha get ready for her date, mm-hmm. and um, she recalls, like, her doing the same thing when Callie had her first date. So they're picking out an outfit from the closet. Briefly, Trisha sees like a ghostly face of Daniel in the closet, but just kind of like closes her eyes and like moves on from it. Right. Then they like do their hair and makeup and everything. Detective comes over, picks her up, says she looks beautiful. (laughs) They're like walking down the street. Trisha sees Daniel as they start walking, but just kind of takes that deep breath and ignores, you know, what she thinks to be a lucid dream. Then Detective Mallory sees Daniel as well. Mm -hmm. And Daniel looks like angry and like feral. Yeah. Then Trisha kind of collapses. So like Ryan, the detective, has Daniel like in his arms and he looks like he's like lunging for Trisha. Yeah, it looked like he was kind of gonna attack him or attack her. Yeah. And then Trisha is like in Callie's arms and she's about to faint. So they take him to the hospital and he ends up showing signs of abuse. And all that Daniel can say is that he was underneath. They check him out of the hospital. And when he looks at the tunnel near the house, he pisses himself. I think that night or like the next night, like Joe said, it's kind of hard to tell timeline in this. Um, The cops show up and they want to talk to Daniel again. They end up hearing thudding upstairs because they're like, oh, he's sleeping. He's not available. And then the cops are like, well, we'll wait. And they end up hearing like this crash upstairs, basically. And when they get up there, Daniel is cowering in the office. They tell him that they found animal bones in his stomach at the hospital and that he's wearing the same clothes that he disappeared in. They also said that like someone fed him as recently as yesterday morning and he still had his wallet on him. So Ryan is getting really aggressive with him. Like obviously he's being protective of Trisha because they have some kind of like situationship going on there. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, He's not giving them any answers as to where he's been. And clearly, like, he was eating. Like, he's not malnourished. Do you think that he was withholding information? Or do you truly believe that he... No, no I think that he was just out of it. Like, Mm. yeah. Gotcha. How about you? Uh, Yeah, I think I would agree with you. I think it would be more fun to believe that he had witnessed these unspeakable horrors and he just didn't want to believe that they happened or just didn't have the stomach to tell because who's going to believe him. Right. You know, no one ever believes the tunnel man. (laughs) (laughs) I think that he's just kind of like fucked up. Mm -hmm. Callie opens the box again. And at this point I'm like, what's in the box? (laughs) (laughs) She kind of listens through the wall though, as Trisha and Daniel have this like, tearful fight it's like 
a weird fight, but non-fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to explain. I mean, he like points at her stomach too. And then yeah. she's like, Mm-mm, don't come at me. Like you've been gone for seven years. Like I'm allowed to move on. Right, yeah. And then I guess he said non-verbally that he wasn't like attacking her like that. That mm-hmm. That's not why he was like pointing at her stomach. I don't know. It was really strange. Um, I forget. Did they explain? They didn't really say who it was, who the baby's father was. Well, yeah. No, yeah. they did. They did. Because then Detective Mallory shows up that night, wants to talk to Trisha, mm-hmm. and they go like talk in his car, and he says that he's devoted and wants to protect her and the baby, and reminds her that um, Daniel is not the same person as before, and that things also weren't great when he left. Mm-hmm. They were arguing a lot, but they do. She does clarify that it was his baby. I must have completely missed that. Wait, Ryan's? Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. That would explain the uh, wanting to be with her. Yeah. To a point. So we change perspectives to back inside the house, and Daniel is reading Three Billy Goats Gruff, and he, like, shows up right next to Callie's face. Um, She wasn't expecting that. Daniel says you traded with it and that he wishes that she didn't and says something like it fixates and he doesn't want to go back to his bedroom because he says that it's in one of the walls. Mm -hmm. They hear this like wind rustling creaking noise and it's the same noise that Callie heard while she was in the bathroom that one night. What looks like an insect runs by in the hallway um, oh, and Daniel also says that it has the skin of a silverfish. Yeah. Which is ugh, gross. Like, I hate silverfish. Actually, this whole movie, I was thinking about um, the other night, Joe and I found this gigantic thousand-legger in our bedroom, and I went to smack it with um, a flip-flop, and I think that I killed it, but then we couldn't find the body, and we spent, like, 30 minutes looking for the body. Should we explain what a thousand-legger is? No, doesn't everybody? I didn't know what that was when I was living in Florida. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean... Didn't, didn't really have those. Google is a valuable tool, people. <laughs> I mean, it's just a little tiny centipede-looking thing with a million legs. It's disgusting. It if is. you Google thousand legger, the first article that comes up is how to get rid of thousand leggers without getting grossed out. That doesn't exist, okay? <laughs> that <laughs> they're quick too. I literally this one was so big that I wanted to throw up looking at it. That might have been the biggest one I've ever seen. Oh god, my skin is like crawling just thinking about it. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it looks like Callie gets like snatched, but it ends up being like she just hit her head because she goes to investigate the insect noise in the bathroom and then she kind of like falls over. Then we switch back to the car where Trisha and Ryan are and she tells him that it has to stop between them and that she will let him be as involved in the baby's life as he wants to be. So that's when we got like full confirmation. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Oh, yeah, it's been like a week since I've seen this, so there are some things that I are fuzzy for me. Valid. They go to say goodbye, but Trisha notices that the front door is open, and she calls back for Ryan. Callie comes running from the direction of the tunnel, yelling that he's gone. So Daniel is again missing. We then kind of get like a rewind and see the interaction between Callie and Daniel in the house. Daniel gets taken by a creature that's like chirping like a bug and the ceiling is moving. Uh, Daniel's on the ceiling at one point. He's like very bloody and like beaten up Mm -hmm. and he gets dragged out the front door down the street and into the tunnel. The police ask Callie if she's under the influence and question her and they, you know, look into her eyes and something is up with her pupils. So she was 
indeed under the influence. That's mm-hmm. what was in the box, we learn. Brian asked Trisha to file a missing persons report. And it's a very like sad moment because he's like, I don't want to have to ask you to do this again, but I need you to file a missing persons report. Yeah, and I throughout the movie, I didn't really find him that terrific of an actor, but this moment here, yeah, his like cadence and how he delivered the lines, the little pauses between certain words, you could tell he was like his character was choking up to tell her that because yeah, that's something you don't want to do but you gotta do it you know yeah after the cops leave trisha accuses callie of being on acid and says that she's heard this giant bug story before because callie was honest with the police of what she saw Mm -hmm. trisha finds callie's drugs and ends up slapping her in the face callie then researches into missing persons in the area and finds walter lambert his son said that a giant monster took him she also finds out, and she's like delivering all this information to Trisha. She's like showing everything that she found on Wikipedia to mm-hmm. her sister. She also finds out that the tunnel used to be a natural sinkhole with a footbridge over it, and people used to go missing from that too. Like somebody um, went to go get water from a well, mm-hmm. went over the footbridge, and then his footprints stopped like halfway to the well. Callie brings up options like folklore, cryptids, neighboring dimensions, and Trisha says that it's easier to accept some kind of fantastical truth, uh, sorry, some kind of fantastical story than the actual truth. And that ties back into earlier with Trisha thinking like alien abduction right, for Daniel yeah. going missing when in reality, it's probably that he just, left or come on alien abduction right yeah (laughs) the next day the cops knock on the door and they ask callie to identify a body i think trisha is either like walking up at the same time or she pushes past callie because she thinks that it's daniel that's right yeah and the crime scene is clearly just over across the way at the tunnel. So they both head over, and fortunately and unfortunately, it's Walter, the guy from the tunnel from earlier, and he's bloody, mangled up, and pretty dead. (laughs) Yeah. The random guy from earlier who told Callie not to leave the trinkets is also there. Uh, I theorized that it was Jamie. It is. Uh, so Walter's son, and he starts crying. He also was carrying a trash bag again. Right. And they kind of like grab Jamie because he's hysterical, but they take the trash bag from him. And when the cops open it, it's a live dog. Yeah. So he was like feeding live dogs to, my theory was that he was leaving the dogs for his like dad to eat so that his dad could stay alive wherever he was i don't think that he was like giving the creature offerings i think that he was like bringing them for his dad because daniel had animal bones in his stomach so he could have been easily eating them as well yeah that's i didn't even put those two together because it happened really quick and they don't really go back to it it's just like two seconds all of a sudden they pull like a dog out of the bag and like what the fuck yeah well also they were those missing pet posters from Mm -hmm. earlier and then now that i'm thinking about it i'm wondering too if it's maybe meant to be like the people who are in this underneath world and maybe come out to grab animals you know like or maybe Mm -hmm. like the pets just wander in the tunnel and then like they eat them to stay alive maybe yeah but like i want to know how does the son know to steal dogs to bring them to the tunnel you know like i feel like why is he the special one i think that maybe he's seen his dad like i think maybe he's seeing him in the same way that trisha was seeing daniel everywhere 
but Jamie like believed that it actually was his dad. And I'm curious as to why the those two are able to see beyond the veil. Like Oh, Trisha and Jamie. Yeah, like because Jamie looked like a junkie a little bit. Well, I think that everybody can to some extent because at the end of the movie, Ryan sees Callie. Let's get there first. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Get ahead of ourselves. (laughs) All right. So they identify the body as Walter. Jamie gets uh, booked by the cops because he has this dog in a bag. Callie explains the idea of victim souls to Trisha that God lets some people be destined for torment and are rewarded greatly when they're in heaven, which I call some bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think we're pretty honest that we're not religious people Mm -hmm. on this podcast, but like, what a shitty idea. Like, like, what if everything just goes wrong in your life and you're like, oh my God, like I'm... When I get to heaven, it's going to be amazing. (laughs) Amazing. And then you die and there's like nothing. And you're like, well. (laughs) What? (laughs) Although you're not even thinking at that point. So I guess. Mm -hmm. Maybe somebody will feed you a dog. You're not living. (laughs) Yeah, but you're on. I don't know. In In my after life after death, there's just nothing. Peace. (laughs) Sleep. But. (laughs) That's the thing. Like, all right. In, in my opinion, there's like, there's literally nothing. Like, mm-hmm. you're not peaceful. You're not sleeping because you cease to exist, mm-hmm. just in every sense of the word. Oh yeah, I'm just. I can imagine someone looking forward to the rest. Like, but there's no rest. I, I know, but just, just doing not, nothing. You're like, just nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. <laughs> They are getting ready for bed, and they hear some kind of chirping in the living room. They're on the stairs. They're shutting off all the lights Mm -hmm. in the house, in the downstairs. And um, they're on the staircase. It's just blackness in the living room. And they hear this animal chirping. I would describe it kind of like grasshoppery. Yeah, like a cricket. Yeah. There's this great unsettling shot of just the black living room. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly... Something jumps out. I don't know what it was. It was a very quick very, frame. Yeah. You could probably pause on it. I didn't feel like going through the effort. Mm-hmm. It seems to be some kind of insect. I think, honestly, I didn't need to see anything. Yeah. And I... Okay, I, I have a question, but I'll, I'll save it for the end. Go okay, ahead, sorry. we're almost there. Basically, Trisha was dragged away. Um, Callie goes to the police... They question her again. Ryan suggests that maybe a drug dealer is coming after Callie, and that's why, you know, Daniel and Trisha now were both taken. They ask her to file a missing persons report. They say they need to test her blood to make sure she was not um, under the influence at that time, and they're going to need to ask a lot more questions. She gets home. She bags up three Billy Goats gruff, and all the reports of the missing persons throughout the decades and leaves it on her bed addressed to Mallory. That night, she shows up to the tunnel and starts yelling about trading. She's like, trade, trade, trade. And the tunnel spits out a fetus. Mm -hmm. We don't see it explicitly. Yeah, it's in the background, very unfocused. It's just kind of like a uh, bloody... Yeah. And... Uh, Callie is visibly upset by it and also visibly grossed out by it. She starts running, but before she can reach the end of the tunnel, all but her shoe disappears. And the movie ends with Ryan speculating, just like Trisha did in the very beginning, about what could have possibly happened with her. He goes over options like, you know, she confessed that she used to go camping and that sometimes she was that she could just leave, like, mm-hmm. up and go so he thinks maybe that's an option for her um maybe her and her sister left together maybe you know they were living next to someone jamie who had textbook kind of serial killer traits right and he was killing animals not himself but they don't know that 
Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, that's a logical next step is a person. So he's kind of going through all of the realistic and also fantastical ideas in his head of what could have happened. He posts up missing signs. And then at the very end, Daniel sees Callie briefly at the mouth of the tunnel with her neck kind of bent. But she's not there. And the perspective changes and we see kind of Callie from behind. And it seems like there's almost like a veil over the end of the tunnel where she can see out. It seems like maybe she Mm. can't leave the tunnel. And then, you know, she obviously disappears from Ryan's view. And I think there's a little like bug, bug hand that goes up on her shoulder. Yeah. At the end. So I was going to ask, like, what do you think is the significance with bugs? I think it's just like a cryptid. I guess so. Yeah. I've. I've never, like, read or heard about any kind of, like, insectoid... Mothman? Let me finish. (laughs) (laughs) An insectoid being associated with the, like, afterlife. What do you mean the afterlife? I, I feel like that this veil, these people are maybe... Okay, maybe not afterlife, but some kind of, like, limbo... I don't think it's that at all. Really? No. I think it's just kind of like some, I think it's like stranger things, essentially. Mm. Like where they call it the upside down, they're calling it the underneath in this movie Mm -hmm. where they're just kind of like stuck. And even, even like, I wonder if um, Duffer Brothers like saw this movie and like took some cues from it because like uh, Callie's walking through the living room at one point and there's like hands coming down through the ceiling like there's mm-hmm. it's yeah, like a very right. thin kind of gateway I guess right. to this other dimension like sometimes they're farther away sometimes they're like right in our kind of area so I think it's like a different dimension kind of thing and then obviously three Billy Goats gruff ties into it a lot like troll under the bridge essentially right uh i'm just rolling through my notes here oh yeah so the the beginning kind of i think it's just like being a little picky but the way that the beginning credits were rolling with like these slow like fading cuts it made it seem like it was the end of the movie to be honest i don't remember okay the beginning (laughs) (laughs) I i guess just a little thing but um also this movie's the i I know the budget was crazy slim the lighting was very very like you could tell into independent film and very overexposed very harsh like natural lighting it's funny because bleached you know yeah it's funny because i looked up um my student films the other night Um, Because an old professor asked me for examples Mm -hmm. that I had done. And I dug them up and we watched a couple together. (laughs) Yeah. And this was just last night. And um, and looking back on them, I was like, oh, man, like these are these are a little cringy at times. Like there's some good, good, positive things. But, you know, obviously it was zero budget. Right. But we turned this on and I was like, I got to know the budget on this. Cause it's like the shaky hand cam and like, yeah, that kind of drove me a little nuts. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, the acting is, I will say the chemistry between the actors who played the sisters. Yes. Was really well done. It did feel like an actual yeah. relationship like to- towards the end when, um, when Trisha was, uh, like meditating and she starts breaking down and like crying. Like I, yeah. I was like starting to kind of maybe feel like a little choked up. Yeah, I'm not saying that the acting was bad. I'm just saying like it felt very like real people to me. I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> like they definitely weren't like celebrity actors, right? But um, do you remember that movie? Oh, was it called Evil Things? The it was like the found footage with the teenagers, and they were in the Catskills. You remember that one? 
Yeah, the one that we did an episode on? Yeah. yeah. I had the same sense as that, where I felt those actors were, like, really believable just for their, like, realness. I had the... I, evil things, yeah. I hope that I'm getting across my point here. No, I, like I, think I, I think I understand what you're talking about. Like, they're so new to acting that they are, like, failing upwards. Like yeah, the, <laughs> that's a good. That's a good. The realness of them is there's the. It's still like fresh, and that's what's coming through. Yeah, which I think is weirdly beneficial for first time actors and independent yeah. flicks and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a good point. Never thought of it that way. Um, I also noticed there's like there's fucking ghosts or some kind of spiritual other side to like almost all of Flanagan's work. Mm. Um, but speaking of his work. The jump from this to his next movie for Oculus, yeah, night and day difference. It's in, it's insane how much he has improved. How much money can change things oh, as well? Yeah, that's true. Oh, and Daniel looks pretty clean cut for being gone for seven years. That's true. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's like a time difference. Well, yeah, they mentioned that he's wearing the same exact clothes and. I'm like seven years in the same clothes. Like they probably would be hanging off them, but they look pretty good. Yeah. I mean, he was a little scruffy, but no like seven years worth of yeah. beard or hair growth. And then uh, the, I didn't catch his name, but the detective who's working with Ryan Mallory. Yeah. First of all, I think he chews gum in every single scene that he's in. I kind of liked it. To, to, towards the end, he said scenario and it got me thinking I say scenario, not scenario. Mm-hmm. Like I say caramel instead of caramel. Mm-hmm. I say caramel. I don't think I say scenario though. Yeah, no, no that sounds scenario, weird. Right. You know what else kind of sounds weird? What? Wait, would you mind saying the word crayon for our listeners? Uh, crown? <laughs> <laughs> I don't it's just, it's so, Why do you make it's fun of me for that? No, I'm not making fun. Because it, it sounds like you're saying the word crown. Crown. Yeah. <laughs> just what just one of those things but i've definitely i have seen worse introductory like debut films and obviously with anything that anyone does in their life the first is a, a lot of like you know growing pains and learning how yeah. you go because when i was watching this i was thinking about debut films for like scorsese and christopher nolan and aronofsky and it's just really interesting for me seeing where all those people start and where their careers are at now. They all have hugely different like views on film and how they film and like the content of the stuff that they make. It's wild. It makes me like think of other future right, directors like, and writers. Who's starting now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like whenever I'm watching stuff, I always like I told you this before, like when I was younger and I saw like Black Hawk Down for the first time, I think that was the first time I've seen Orlando Bloom and I think Michael Fassbender and I think Tom Hardy's in it. Ewan McGregor's in it. Like all their like really early stuff and it's just interesting to see where they are at now. Yeah. Just an observation. So do you have a rating? I do. I, I always do this. I don't think about it until I ask the question. That's right. Uh, I'm going to go with a four and a half. I wasn't bored. I was never scared. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's like a, it's a fun, it's a fun little premise. My gut said six, mm -hmm. but then when you said four and a half, I went down to five. So I'm going to call it even with a five and a half. <laughs> Sounds good. I liked the story. I thought that it was like a, a good twist mm -hmm. on something very traditional and right. folklore-y. Like I said, I think the acting was like realistic. I thought it was spooky. The face in the closet was pretty spooky. Mm. It was very like stereotypical, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ghostly face. Yeah. I honestly would be okay with not watching this again. It went by really quickly for me. Mm -hmm. And... I wasn't bored yeah, at all. Neither was I. I did also really like the um, kind of like info dump at the end where Hallie was like going over all the disappearances. Like I kind of wanted more of that 
like more yeah. of like the uh, let's head to the library and there's always the research yeah. scene. Yeah, you can always count on either a research scene or like finding the town historian who was there that one day. Yeah. You know. Okay, so in Haunted Mansion, Danny yeah. DeVito is like the historian, like the oh okay yeah he like wrote a book on like the most haunted places in louisiana or something and um Mm -hmm. no one bought it but he's like a professor and like a historian and (laughs) so that's his role in haunted mansion that's that might be why i liked him so much okay yeah very nice well i think if you're a fan of mike flanagan and you've never seen this movie like watch it it's free on Tubi. Yeah. It's not long. I wasn't bored. If anything, the just whole to thing. see where like his roots are or like yeah. where he started from. It's Why interesting not? to see how he has progressed over the years. Yeah. And I think our friends over at Horror Cafe Podcast have an episode on Oculus as well. So if you wanted to listen to his second film, you could head over there and listen to their thoughts. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And Joe, thank you for this awesome pick. I have no idea what I'm going to pick next time. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Partners in Fright Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Fright Partners. And you can leave us a review on Apple and Spotify only if you have something nice to say. <laughs> <laughs> and do us a favor. Please, please watch a scary movie for us. You're sexifying your end podcast. Make horror sexy again. (laughs) (laughs) It already is. All right, folks, we'll see you next week for Devin's pick. Love y'all. Bye.